today on Commitment to Truth. God did not send Jesus Christ into the world to save you from your sin so that he could sit there and beat you with the sins that you've committed. He did it to save you from that. So there should be celebration in both. You were lost, but now you're found. You were blind, but now you see. Your past, your sin, it's gone. Hard for us to wrap our head around. God totally forgets. I promise you that he does. And it just takes a constant work to remind yourself of the truth of God's word and to accept his love, accept his forgiveness, and not carry that weight that makes you feel like you're not worthy to fulfill the calling that he's given you. Welcome to Commitment to Truth, the teaching ministry of Commitment Church, a place for all nations. Thank you so much for spending time with us today. Each week, Pastor Cedric Brown and the pastoral team at Commitment Church strive to draw you into a deeper relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This week, we'll be starting a sermon series called Heroes. We'll learn from the biblical heroes of the past found in Hebrews 11 and by faith to encourage you to become today's heroes of the faith. Here's Pastor Mike Jones, teaching pastor at Commitment Church with today's message. All right, so today we will be concluding our series on heroes. And so if you'll turn with me to the same passage we've been turning to for a while now, it should be, I was just open up to it at this point. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11, um, and just to read verse 32 to you, um, really just to show you that it says that we're talking about the prophets today. Uh, Hebrews 11, 32. And what more shall I say? For time will fail me if I tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel, and the prophets. And of the prophets, there are many. And I will not make an attempt to tell you guys about all the prophets that there are, because we'd be here for a while. Um, it was really interesting getting a chance to prepare and, and study. There's just they're all so different. There's so many different things you could get out of their lives. Uh, so I just grabbed two today that we'll look at. But before we go there, I just want to kind of give you a definition of what a prophet was. It was men and women chosen by God to be a spokesperson to the people on God's behalf. That was their job. God would give them a divine word directly from him. And it was their job to then convey this message to the people. You are prophets today. What? I know. It's like, wait, I don't, I don't know about that. But hear me out, all right? I'm not saying they received a divine, specific word from God for a specific time to tell kings and people in authority um, to, to let them know about their rebellion against God. And they would do very specific things. There would be droughts. Um, they would tell of future events. I'm not saying that that's what you're going to do. I'm not saying God's going to give you this divine special word for somebody in that very specific sense. But I am saying that you do hear from the Lord and that he has a message for you to take. Like Pastor Mike, I don't hear from the Lord. Let's look at John 16. John chapter 16, and we'll read verses 13 through 15. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, 
He will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. All things that the Father God has are mine. Mine is Jesus. Therefore, I said that he, the Holy Spirit, takes from me and will disclose it to you. And when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit indwelling you. And he gives you a message to tell people. And there's a pattern that the prophets had when they would deliver their message. It was to tell people about what God had done. To remind them that the God of Abraham and Jacob and Isaac, who had freed them from the bondage of slavery, was still alive and active. But he would also say that he was displeased with the rebellion of the people. But it didn't stop there. The prophets weren't bearers of bad news except for to the people who chose to, chose to stay in that rebellious state. But there was a message of hope after that. Yes, you're being rebellious right now, but there's an opportunity for restoration and redemption. And in Hebrews 11, it keeps saying that, there's the, that the prophets and the heroes didn't receive the promise. And that promise was Jesus Christ. We've received that promise. We've received that hope. And it's up to us to be the loose definition here of prophets to a world that still needs to hear that there is a Savior coming again. So with that, let's look at a couple prophets. Uh, what, how are we like the prophets? What are some ways we can identify with the prophets? Let's start with Isaiah. And if you turn with me to Isaiah 6, and we'll read verses 1 through 5. <clears throat> In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet. And with two he flew, and one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out while the temple was filling with smoke. Pretty awesome sight that Isaiah is seeing right now. And what's his response? Then I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. For your first point, uh, for those of you that are following along in the highlights, uh, Isaiah was ruined because of his sin. Ruined means to cease, cut off, destroy, or perish. Um, and in the translation there, he kind of says it twice. Isaiah, Isaiah is saying, I deserve to die. In the face of a holy, awesome God, Isaiah realized how unholy he was. And in front of a perfect God, we should be face-to-face -face with our own sin. That's what salvation is. You know, salvation is from our sins. But that's not supposed to stop there. 
We're not supposed to recognize the gravity, the weight of our sin, to feel this overwhelming guilt and then accept God's gift of salvation, but then still carry around that guilt. Let's look at John chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, passage I'm sure many of you are familiar with. John 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to judge the world, but that the world through him might be saved. God did, God did not send Jesus Christ into the world to save you from your sin so that he could sit there and beat you with the sins that you've committed and remind you about them and lord it over you. He did it to save you from that, to redeem you. So there should be celebration in both that. You were lost, but now you're found. You were blind, but now you see. The old has passed away. Behold, all things become new. You have a new life in Jesus Christ. And that, so your, your past, your sin, it's gone. Hard for us to wrap our head around. It really is. I can understand it, right? Just in our human minds, God totally forgets all of that. I'm here to tell you he does. I promise you that he does. And it just takes a constant work to remind yourself of the truth of God's word, to not give God our human attributes, and to accept his love, accept his forgiveness, and not carry that weight that makes you feel like you're not worthy to fulfill the calling that he's given you, to deliver the message that he's given you. Please turn with me to 1 Timothy. And we're going to read here what Paul has to say. Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. And I'll, you know, I'm not throwing stones at Paul because he said it himself. He was a sinner, a big-time sinner, before he got saved. And he says so himself in 1 Timothy 1, verses 12 through 16. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service, putting him to work. Even though I was formerly a blasphemer and formerly a persecutor and formerly a violent aggressor, yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost of all. Yet for this reason I found mercy, so that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. That testimony that you have, that you might feel ashamed of, that's the very testimony God wants to use to display his power to the people around you. There is no greater testimony than the, the, the work of God in a completely changed life. That alone speaks for itself. When you think about your past, you think about wherever it was you were, don't let that hinder you from now saying, but I'm not that anymore. 
take a look and see how good my God is. And that's exactly how Isaiah responded. If you turn back with me to Isaiah, I should have had you put your finger there. Sorry. Isaiah, uh, we're back in chapter 6, verses 6 through 8. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is forgiven. And so what's Isaiah's response now to salvation, to his sin being forgiven? Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Then I said, here am I. Send me. Hallelujah. Send me. And it's, it, I had this funny picture in my head when I, when I read this, right? If, or, if you can remember when you were in like elementary school or if you've taught any young kids class and you have something you want the kids to do, who wants to be the line leader? I don't know. Who wants to, in, in his kids, who wants to read this passage? And sit there and reach their hand, their fingertips as high as they can. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Me, me, that should be us, me, please, send me, God, send me to do whatever it is that you want me to do. That should be the way we are. Sometimes we're, we're like the, uh, you know, you get a little older, and you're the kid in algebra who didn't do his homework, and the teacher's going over it to see who did it. Hope he doesn't call on me. I didn't... No, send me, please, please. Raise your hand up for the Lord and say, God, send me whatever you want me to do. Thank you for my salvation. Thank you for your forgiveness. My life is yours. Use it however you want to. And that's exactly what Isaiah's response was. And that's exactly what ours can be. There's a lot to Elijah. Uh, There's no way I could really go through his life um, in a reasonable amount of time. Um, but I'll just say he was an awesome dude. He did some really, really cool stuff. Um, and, uh, yeah, he was just really ready to be used by God. He, uh, in in one instance, so he, he told this wicked king that there wouldn't be any rain, that there would be a drought for three and a half years. And he's like, and it's not going to rain again until I say it's going to rain. And then he walked out and it didn't rain for three and a half years. And so that king Really didn't like him very much, as you can imagine. And so then God told him to go back. And he, <laughs> it's, I love the humanity that the Bible shows of the people in it. Um, so he sends Elijah back to, to the king. And Elijah offers like this challenge. It's like a, like a rat battle between Elijah and the prophets of Baal. And there was like 450 of them. And he's like, uh, all right, I'll tell you what. Go meet me on this hill. And uh, you call fire from your God, Baal. I'll call fire from my God, the Almighty One. And, uh, you know, whoever gets fire wins. Proves that, that that's the real God. And so the king's like, all right, fine then. And so they, they go up there. And the, the one passage uh, is the, the prophets of Baal go first. And uh, they, they lay their, all, their, their sacrifice on the altar. They're, they're doing all this stuff and gyrations and calling and all this stuff. And Elijah's sitting back. And, oh, maybe he's asleep. Maybe, maybe, maybe he went on a vacation. Maybe he took a journey. He'll be back. Keep calling him. It's like sitting there. I just think that's, I'm sorry. I think that that's just hysterical. All right. But then Elijah goes. And of course, what does he do? He hits the ante. He takes a, a trench around the altar. He pours water all over it. He 
offers a prayer to God, and everything was gone. Lit it all up. Well, that really didn't make the king happy, right? So Isaiah runs, and that's where, that's where I want to pick up um, right here. Um, if you could, if you're taking notes in your highlights, can you just put uh, that Elijah experienced fear, failure, fatigue, and futility. And let's read, um, I'll just read through 3 through 10. Uh, and he was afraid and arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree. And he, qu- he requested for himself that he might die and said, It is enough now, O Lord. Take my life, for I am not better than my father's. He lay down and slept under a juniper tree. And behold, there was an, there was an angel touching him, and he said to him, Arise, eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a bread cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. The angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise, eat, because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. Then he came there to a cave and lodged there, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I've been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek my life to take it away. He is distraught and despondent, despite just that one snippet of what I shared with you, and there's a lot more to that. Despite all that, he was done. Uh, there were some interesting articles, and, articles and, and if you guys could make a note, uh, because just for yourselves, um, there was a couple articles I read that, that say that Elijah suffered or battled depression. Um, and I don't think I'm qualified to really sit up here and shoot from the hip on that. But with that, though... Uh, I think that there's a lot of people who struggle today with that. And I would just ask you in, in, the, in, the, in one of the questions it says to read 1 Kings 17 through 19. I would encourage you to read that so you can get some idea of who Elijah was. And, and let Google be your friend. I normally wouldn't, you know, but as long as Google's directing you to your Bible, okay? Um, and look up Elijah and depression. And, and this fear, failure, is a lot of the struggle that people have when they feel depressed, they feel afraid of life, uh, they feel like a failure, despite, and look, despite, no matter how successful they are, there's people that still struggle with this, you know? Um, fatigue, worn out, I mean, he slept for two days, an angel came to him twice, an angel, and he was like, I'm just going to sleep this one through, that's a little easier than really living right? And he felt like there was no point. What's the point? Why am I doing this? Nobody's listening. It's not going to change nothing. Why am I doing doing this? Well, he was doing it because God told him. Because God had a purpose for his life. And for people who 
If you struggle with depression, God has a purpose for your life. You might feel afraid, tired, like a failure, but that's not God's definition of you. You're way more than that. And the God who saved you or who can save you, if you haven't put your faith and trust in him, can take all of that away. His promises are true. He's a comforter. He's a provider. He's a refuge and a strength. He's a shelter in the storm. That's who my God is. And that's the God he can be for you. And that's the God that he was for Elijah. Because although Elijah struggled in this way, God still said to go. He still gave him, and, and it's interesting, uh, verses 9 and 10, and I think it's 13 and 14, uh, reflect their, their mirror images, the same thing, repeated, where God comes to him again after a bunch of stuff happens. Uh, God comes to him again, and he's like, Elijah, what are you doing here? And Elijah's like, I don't think you heard me the last time, God. So what's the point? And he says uh, the, whole, the whole thing again, you know. And, and God, he, he's almost like, uh, okay, well, you still got this job to do. So he gave him something to do. And what I really wanted to focus on with Elijah as well um, was that one of the things that God gave Elijah, uh, the word I, I, I used for the highlights was apprentice, but that's, that's not enough. God gave Elijah, Elisha. And boy, we should do like a sermon series on Elijah and Elisha, right? I, I hope Pastor didn't hear that because he's going to, all right, Mike, you should. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but in verse 21, uh, it says, uh, so he returned from following him and took the pair of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the implements of the oxen, and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then here, this is talking about Elisha, by the way. Then Elisha arose and followed Elijah and ministered to him. And the word minister here uh, means to serve, take care of, to tend to the needs of someone. And God has someone for you. Someone who can tend to your needs on this earth. A husband, a wife, a confidant, a brother, a sister. A brother in Christ. Should probably make sure we're specific. A sister in Christ. That is there to minister to you when, when you feel like a failure. When you feel like you can't do it, when you feel like you're not good enough. And look, when you're, really, you know, when you're trying to live a Christian life, <laughs> if you're doing it the right way, you're really going to feel like you fall short. You need somebody to minister to you. You know, the other, the other part of de- depression, right, uh, is, is isolation. And if you're isolated from, from society, from people, who, how can you be ministered to? You know, God's called us to relationship. Now, I, I, I remind the, I, I'm, I'm always, kids and youth are probably tired of hearing it, but I'm always pushing godly friends, godly friends, relationship, relationship. And, and I like to tell them that, you know, when God created the earth, 
he created Adam, set him in the garden, gave him some work, and this perfect one, I mean, can you, I, we can't wrap our heads around how perfect the world could have been. What, in this beautiful paradise, what did God say? It was not good. It is not good for man to be alone. And so in that case, it shows the importance of a godly wife in that context. I don't want to, but, but also relationship. We're created to be with each other, to minister to each other, to build each other up. The edification of the church is our mission. We're here for each other. And I would ask you today that if you don't have somebody that you, you really allow in a way that can speak healing and love and encouragement into your life, find that brother or sister today. It'll make a world of difference in your life, and it'll bring you closer to Jesus Christ. So how can we start living like heroes? And prophets, and kind of join the two here. Um, we're concluding the, the sermon series here. And so I'd like to just put a, a fine point, if I can, on this whole chapter of, of all these people and how uh, out of all the great men and women of God, their weaknesses and strengths and the things that we can learn, how can we apply it? How can we bring it all together? Uh, Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. We need to have an active faith. Faith, uh, by definition here, is a conviction or belief concerning, concerning man's relationship to God. That's the first part of faith. It's recognizing your relationship to God. It doesn't stop there. There's a second part. It's associated with trust and holy fervor born from that faith. There needs to be an action, an outward movement, as Pastor Ken likes to say, faith with feet. You need to take that faith that you have and put it into service for the Lord. In James 2, we won't read the whole passage, but it says in there quite plainly that faith without works is dead. Not that our salvation is predicated by the works that we do, but when you do have an awesome, active, wonderful God in your life, you can't help but want to live for him. That should just be the natural reaction. At least a conviction on the inside. If you're having trouble living it out, there should at least be a yearning inside that I need to change. I need to do better constantly. I need to live for the Lord. I need to deliver this message, and I need to live the way God has called me. That's the first way you can be a hero. Look, these, these heroes, they weren't anything special until after they obeyed the Lord. There's so many of these passages. It doesn't say their background. It doesn't say what sort of qualifications they had, what sort of training. All they did was love God and want to live for him. And God said, I've got, you're, you're the man or woman for the job. Here's what I got for you. And they obeyed. That's all it takes for us. God has a very specific, honestly, like really specific. I can't tell you what it is from here, 
But he has something for each and every one of you, and only you know what that is. But you know what it is. You know, we, we all have the Holy Spirit in us. We have Christ in us. What is it that God's telling you? What's the job? He wants to use you. He really does. What's he asking you to do today? Hebrews 11.13. All these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them and welcomed them from a distance, and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. We need to accept that we're exiles. Strangers in a strange land. It's getting stranger and stranger. All right? And exiles here uh, means one who comes from a foreign country into a city or land to reside there among the natives. And that's what we should be. That's what we should feel like. It's difficult, but we should feel like outsiders. I, I, don't, I don't like feeling that way. I'm very uncomfortable with that. If I'm being completely honest, uh, you know, who wants to be the kid that doesn't get picked for kickball? You know what I mean? Like, you know, we've all been there on the playground. Like, you don't, but when you're living a life for God, you, it, it sometimes ostracizes you. you know, I'm not saying all the time, you know, but you, you should be ready for it. Being the weirdo at work. Some of you might already feel that qualification. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's your fault I'm like this. Uh, <laughs> you know, but for real, like, you know, you just, you don't participate in some of the conversations, and you don't say some of the same things, and, you know, I don't say such and such around him, or, you know, I got the, the, these guys at work, and, like, you know, I have to make phone calls to arrange certain things, and yeah, everybody uses profanity, it drives me crazy, and, um, and, but always apologize, oh, sorry, oh, sorry, oh, can't say that around you, you know, and I, you know, first it makes me feel a little yeah, and that's, that's how you should, be, like, we should just be comfortable, strangers in a foreign land, living for our home that's to come. Because Jesus Christ is coming back, and he's taken us to the place that he's prepared, that he's made by hand or by his word, or however it is that Jesus makes heaven for us. But he's made it, he's prepared it for us. That is our home. Let's look at Revelation, and I'll just read it to you. I know I got you guys turned to a bunch of passages today. Uh, Revelation 21.4, And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. All of that is ours. That's what we're living for. To live here on this earth is to live for Christ. To die is gain. It's better than here. Let's live like we're living for heaven, for a wonderful, eternal place that we're going to spend eternity with Jesus Christ and with each other. It's just going to be sweet. Let's live for that. How can we start living like heroes? And and even like I noticed with the prophets, we need to go. in, In reading... As much of the problem, I didn't read all of it, but as much as I could. Uh, every time God 
gave them a word, and they would, you know, sometimes argue, uh, sometimes obey, but whatever it was, God said, go. And the last capital P prophet that there was was Jesus Christ. And what was his last word to us? Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. Go! Get out there! Let's move! To pursue a course, start, set out. To go on a journey with the purpose of baptizing them, discipling people, teaching them, and he will be with you in all of that. Do we want to live like heroes? Not the world's definition of heroes. Do we want to live like godly heroes that we've learned about for, for the last couple months? Let's go. And let's get moving. Thank you again for listening to our series, From Commitment to Truth, the teaching ministry of Commitment Church, a place for all nations. If you want to listen to the previous messages in this series, or if you want to hear messages from other series, visit Commitment Church on YouTube or Pastor Cedric Brown on Spotify, Pandora, or other podcast providers. You can also visit us on our website, commitmentchurch.org. And if you live in the Philadelphia, Delaware, or South Jersey area, we would love to see you in person as well. You can attend any of our services by visiting us at 2 Berlin Road South, Lindenwald, New Jersey, 08021. Thank you again for listening, and have a blessed and wonderful day.